This is Henry Rollins, and you are listening to Signal to Noise. Consider yourself lucky. This is Mike Watt from San Pedro, California for Signal to Noise. You are listening to a presentation of the Cast Iron Ring Network. For more great content like this, head to castironring.com, your number one source for the best music podcasts on the net. All right, hello and welcome to episode 18 of the Signal to Noise podcast. I am your host, Aaron. So, episode 14 was all about uh, Boss Jock Studio and the iRig mic. Episode 17 was all about Boss Jock Studio because I had Dave on, Mansueto. Can't thank Dave enough for doing that. And right now, I am actually uh, sitting in a hotel room in Nashville. Actually, uh, north of Nashville, I guess. Recording this uh, podcast with my iRig mic. And uh, with Boss Jock Studio on my iPad, so it's kind of neat that I can do that. I wanted to see exactly how mobile the setup really was, and just kind of, you know, try some things here and talk about my trip to, to Nashville. So, um, anyway, let's talk about the news, shall we? Alright guys, so, Cast Iron Ring, you heard at the top of the show, castironring.com. I'm part of it. It's a, uh, it's just a fun group of guys, and we podcast and do all sorts of stuff. So, check out the other shows out there. I am finally getting caught up on my podcasts. Um, I think I'm only maybe a couple behind on Focus on Metal. Finally getting caught up on uh, Radioactive Metal. Trust me, they're all worth checking out. I think I mentioned last time that uh, John of Iron City Rocks he has a new podcast uh, called. Uh, Heavy Metal Book Club, and I actually did an interview with uh, DX Ferris, um, who wrote the thirty-three in a book, um, thirty-three in a third book, Slayers Rain and Blood. So if you're not familiar with that thirty-three in a third series, um, they basically focus on a classic album, how it was made, and there's various authors and and all this sort of stuff. So it's not like it's by the same person. And Ferris happened to pitch and get to write the uh, Slayer book. It's a great read if you haven't read it. Even if you're not a Slayer fan, you want to read this. If you like thrash metal at all, but maybe Slayer freaked you out, kind of like they did me, which is another story, um, you really want to read this book. It gives you a lot of insight into what was going on at, at that you know golden era of thrash, so to speak. And you start to get a lot of insight into Slayer's career and kind of understand why they have been the thrash titans that they have been for so long. So that's kind of what's going on there. Um... I've been traveling here for work. I'm down in, um, well, I've been down in, in and around Nashville this week, and I thought it'd be fun to um, podcast here. So let's talk about what I'm using. Okay, so I'm using the Boss Jock Studio app again because I, I I really do like it. It's it's a great app and it's great for mobile podcasting. We'll see how quickly I can actually post this because last time I did this, um, I did just about everything on the on the iPad other than my tags and that sort of stuff. So what I'm going to do this time is actually render the show, um, upload it FTP via the app, put it in the right folder, and then publish it from um, WordPress. And that's what I'm going to do. Probably when I get home, I'll tweak it, put my tags and stuff on there. But I'm just going to put it out raw, see what happens, see how everything reacts. Because um, it's been kind of fun to do that. Now, one thing I did notice, because I talked about how much I do like this... Um, 
much I do like the iRig mic. And one thing I noticed when I was listening back to episode 14 is the iRig mic definitely has a hiss where you don't get that hiss uh, when I do, you know, the, the other shows where I'm using one of my USB mics. The last couple shows I've done using the Blue Yeti. I actually got that as a deal through Woot.com. Um, you'll find that I'm a technology geek and I'm always looking for sales on stuff. Had I known that the Blue Yeti was going to be as good as it is, I would have um, ponied up the extra money to get the Pro. I really would have. Just just to get the, the, the deeper recording bit depth. Um, I really, really like the mic. It's been really easy to use. Great sound quality. I should have gotten the Pro because I didn't think I was going to like it that much. I just thought it would be pretty nice. Um, yeah, so that's where we're at there. And now, well, heck, let's talk about Nashville. All right, so here I am in Nashville. Um, for my day job, I do get to travel occasionally. I enjoy that fact. I, you know, um, It's one of those things where if you're going to travel for work, make the best of it, and I always try to. You only have to work eight hours a day, so in my downtime, I make sure I maximize that. So I got a chance to go to a couple different interesting stores here around Nashville, um, I had to check out some guitar shops. So there is a, I did my research before I came down. There's a shop that kept coming up as a very good place to go get pedals. And it's called Rock Block Guitars. Um, so funny thing is, like I used to live here, oh geez, like close to 10 years ago now is when I lived here. Um, and I've been down in this area. I do not remember seeing the store. So if it was there, I completely missed it. Um, I honestly did not look up how long the store has been in business. Um, but it's down by the Exit Inn, which is a club that I saw, what did I see? I think I saw the um, the all-bass orchestra play after a NAMM show one year. But um, anyway, I digress. It was kind of, I think it's the West, not quite the West End, maybe more the Midtown area of Nashville. But uh, anyway, so I was down there checking out Rock Block Guitars. And they call themselves, I think, the little, the little store that roars, something like that. It's their tagline on the website. And they're not kidding. Like, it's a small store for sure, but man, are they loaded with gear and good gear like you walk in you start talking to these guys and i'm sure any of you who go go to regular guitar shops can tell when there's somebody who's confident and kind of cocky and kind of maybe making stuff up embellishing the point a little bit and the guys who are just laid back and know their stuff and of course in nashville you were in the south they tend to be very laid back anyway and i don't mean any offense by that i'm just saying like typically everybody i've met in the south very laid back, as opposed to me, who is wound so tight, it takes me hours to fall asleep at night. Whole nother story. But anyway, so I walk in. Um, ah, geez, I can't remember the name of the sales guy. Boy, am I embarrassed right now. But so I talk, start talking to this guy, real cool guy. We're talking about effects. I explain to him kind of, you know, a couple of things I'm looking for. And one of the things I absolutely love are tremolo pedals. I don't even know why. I don't quite get what I love about them, I really think it's because of the, um, the, it was it Tommy James and the Shondells, the Crimson and Clover song. I, I will never get that sound, that guitar sound out of my head from, from that one. There's a couple other good trim songs out there, but I just, I love tremolo pedals. I have my Voodoo Lab tremolo pedal. I have a kit that I still need to build. I have my Boss tremolo pedal. Um, I have a Mad Doctor tremolo pedal that I need to, need to share. So I said, hey, let me try these out. So, we're talking about different pedals. He had some that were built uh, right there in Tennessee. I tried out a few of their pedals too. And um, so he, he get basically what takes me back to this really nice tube amp. 
real nice tube amp with um like four four different pedals. He said, okay, well this one here is basically a clone of these other ones. So I'm listening to it. And I'm like, yeah, it was good. Nothing super exciting. Um, I can't remember the brand name on it, but it sounded like my boss or like my Voodoo Labs, like kind of like a like a combo in between those. I'm like, yeah, they're all right. So then. I get it. this other pedal. It's super, super tiny. I mean, really, really small, really thin. I'm thinking, how much can this pedal do? Very impressed with the sound. Good. Much better than the other one I play with. Get more unique. And then he brings out this really nondescript, ugly box. Uh, just black, black box, big ugly knobs. Nothing that looks cool compared to the other pedals I've seen. And I will admit, when it comes to pedals, I do like them to look cool. If you're going to have them on the pedal board... It's kind of cool if they look cool. And uh, so that can be a downfall for me. I understand that. A, a cool paint job will definitely get me to look at the pedal. But boy, it sure needs to sound good if you want me to buy it. But so it's not looking like anything. I tried it on his recommendation because he said this phrase to me. He said, well, this pedal was built for Rye Cooter. So if you don't know who Rye Cooter is, I want you to uh, Netflix or rent a movie called Crossroads. Um, it had Ralph Macchio in it, right? The Karate Kid. And it also had this guitar player that I'm sure my audience is familiar with. And his name is Steve Vai. So it was a young Steve Vai and a young, very young Ralph Macchio, um, doing a guitar duel at the end. Um, Steve Vai loses to Ralph Macchio. So we all know that obviously that's a staged ending. But anyway, Ry Cooter did a lot of the, um, actually I think he did all the blues a blues guitar and stuff up to the very end part where Steve I did that trilogy suite at the end. But Ry Cooter did all the other guitar work throughout that movie. And so he's a guitarist that I've admired. I've been very aware of his work, especially as a blues guitarist. So when the gentleman at the store says to me, hey, um, this is based, uh, or this was built for Ry Cooter, uh, I'm intrigued. You know, even as ugly and as nondescript as it looks, I'm like, yeah, what the heck? And he starts telling me more about it. He said, well... What they actually did was Ry Cooter had an amplifier, and I think it was a Fender Twin. I'm going to have to go back and do my research. Obviously, I'm doing this episode on the fly tonight. And so I go back, and um, you know, he's telling me about how it's built, and it was based on his amplifier circuit. I'm like, okay, all right, let's, let's try this. So that's the last pedal I try. I plug that one in. I hit a chord, and I'm just immediately enamored with this pedal haven't changed any settings pretty much just using all the basic presets and this pedal's pretty loaded there's a lot of tweaking you can do to it but it's defaulted at rye cooter settings and who might argue with rye you know what am i saying here but so i plug it in and it just has these gorgeous gorgeous swells so it feels almost like a choir or like like, like that violin kind of thing or you know what think cathedral like those volume swells that Eddie Van Halen was doing in Cathedral that were just so majestic and beautiful sounding like an organ. That's what this pedal sounds like. And I kept playing through it, playing through it. Oh, love it. Of course, then he bring, brings over a couple of fuzz pedals. I can't remember who makes the fuzz pedal, but I took a picture of it, and I know it's called the Red Snapper. I plugged that sucker in, and I wanted that pedal. I couldn't justify getting two, so I bought the Tremolo, because I got enough fuzz pedals at home right now. Um, I mean, can you really have too much? My opinion, no. But I've got the German home that I haven't even gotten a chance to play yet. So um, I figured 
I'll, I'll cool it on the fuzz pedals for a little bit and pick up this trem. I cannot wait to... <coughs> Sorry about that. I cannot wait to uh, plug this in and try it out and demo it for you guys. Because it's really quite a pedal. Um, I... I I know, I, I was surprised. So it's, it's a Demeter, uh, Demeter, and I can't remember the actual model I have packed up here. But anyway, it's a really, really cool pedal, and so I just kind of wanted to share that. All right, so on to my next topic, which is the whole vintage craze when it comes to uh, amplifiers here. All right, so vintage. I wrote an article in my blog a while back that was talking about the subjective nature of guitar values. So basically, what makes a guitar valuable? What makes vintage vintage, right? Because, you know, you walk into certain stores. For example, I'm here in Nashville, so I had to go to Grun's Guitars. If you're not familiar with George Grun, Google him. Um, he is, in my opinion, he's the first and last name in guitar. Like, he, he kind of wrote the book on vintage guitars, and I kid you not, he really has a book, Grun's Guide to Vintage Guitars, um, I got to see him speak probably 15 years ago or so at a NAMM convention and really impressed me. I mean, honestly, he knew what he was talking about. He started out by buying and selling guitars in Chicago. So you walk in his store, you're going to see great vintage guitars. Now, I got to say I wasn't all that excited with the Gruns because all it was was just guitars. There were no pedals, no amps, really. Um, I've reached my limit for guitars. Not that there's ever really a limit, so to speak, but... Physically, there is no more room in my house for me to get another guitar. My wife will probably, um, well, she would not be very happy if I brought home another guitar at this point. So, um, I'm looking at all these guitars, and he's just got miles and miles of them. Great vintage Les Pauls, vintage SGs, and they're all very, very expensive, right? And, you know, you have people who seek these out. Some people who collect them. Some people are looking for that magic sound, right? And uh, Caleb and I talked about this back on episode 15. It was episode 15 when, when we when I did the germ. And we were talking about, like, like, you know, you find those old fuzz faces and there's just a certain sound. They just have that certain sound because of that vintage circuit, that, that old, perfect combination of, of chaos, you know? And you start to wonder, like, is vintage really better? Um, does, you know, something being old, was there really something they did when they built those guitars, amplifiers back then that we're not just doing today? And I, you know, I, I started wondering about that. And so I was reading Guitar World and I've got it right here beside me. It was the July issue with Ozzy and Tony Iommi on the cover, right? And I'm reading the article where, Oz, um, not Ozzy, the other guy, Tony, Tony's talking about um, recording with Rick Rubin, and Rick's pushing them. And this is where that 33 and a third book came in really handy. So if you read the 33 and a third book, and then you read the article with Tony, you're going to find that Rick Rubin's approach hasn't changed much. He has an idea in his head, he has an idea for a sound, and he has an idea on how to get it. It's not always the right idea, and I admire, admire this guy because, you know, at the beginning of his career... At the beginning of his career and at the end of his career, um, he really has not changed his approach. And he's not afraid to admit, you know, if he's not going with, with the best choice, so to speak. Um, 
And in the Slayer book, they talk about how he did not want to use reverb, and I think it was Jeff Hanneman was pushing to use reverb on a certain part of the song, and Rick comes up with this whole thing on why you shouldn't do it, and draws out a diagram, very elaborate, right? And um, Jeff says, just try it, just listen to it. He's like, I don't want a lot, just a little. Jeff puts the reverb on there, Rick hears it, crumples up the paper, and they keep the reverb. You know, enough said. So... I'm reading this article in Guitar World with Tony, and he's talking about how you know Rick wanted to go back and try and capture the old Black Sabbath song. So they get all these old amplifiers. So they go back and get these old vintage amplifiers, like vintage Laney's, vintage, I think I don't know, he mentioned a couple of high watts, but I think that's just stuff that he'd used back in the day. And he kept saying, he's like, just because the amplifier's old doesn't mean it's going to sound good. You know, what people don't understand is that those amps that you love the sound of that were vintage, quote-unquote, they had that sound because there was work done on them. So essentially what it comes down to is he tells a story where he borrowed Pete Townsend's uh, high-watt amplifier. And he's like, holy cow, this thing sounds amazing. So he calls high-watt, they send over a bunch of amps, and he says, of course, they sound nothing like the one that I played through with Pete because Pete had had his customized. Pete had work done to it. So, what my take on, or what my take is on this entire vintage thing now, is really, we're in the best time for creating sounds. You know, instead of trying to find these old amps and get these old sounds, I really think we're in the best position to start tweaking more sounds and coming up with new things and hybriding, maybe taking an old idea and improving on it. Because really, that's how we got the vintage tones that we enjoy in the first place. So... Like um, Caleb from episode 15. I can't wait to get home and play the germ. He took a sound that I love, you know, and that he loves. The uh, the sound of the, the that Hendrix sound that you could get with the fuzz face. Started with that circuit. Started working on it. Did what he could to make it more stable by adding a silicone chip in one part. And then the germanium, germanium or germanium? Germanium. Uh, transistor in the other. So now you've got this great hybrid pedal to get the sound that you'd like, but with the stability that we need, you know, so you don't have all the inconsistencies in the pedal to try and recreate that magic more consistently, you know. And I really think that's the way to go. I mean, heck, I listened to this Demeter pedal, and all they did was just copy an, an amp circuit. So instead of trying to, to build a better tremolo pedal, they went back to something that did sound amazing, copied the circuit, put it into a pedal. Enough said, you know. So I, I do find it amusing when you have people who are trying to go back and chase this sound, and then you've got guy, guys like Tony who are very nonchalant and saying like, hey, that vintage sound that you like really wasn't that vintage amp. There was work done to it. Because as guitar players, and this is what, what I really enjoy, you figure when Pete Townsend and Tony were playing they start back in the late 60s. You know, I think the Who might have been closer to the mid-60s. So these guys started playing back then. And they kind of started the trend that we all continue today. We're never happy with our sound. No matter what it sounds like, no matter where we get to, we'll be happy for a little bit, but then we keep tweaking. Because that's what we do. That's our nature. And that's what's pushed music to where it is today. That's what's pushed guitar technology. That's what's pushed amplifier technology. 
That's why we have all the pedals. That's heck. Why do you think we have the Boss Corporation? Because they were able to do things that nobody else could do and do it better and more compact. And they keep pushing the envelope on stuff. So you've got all these boutique builders now um, springing up everywhere. And man, I gotta say, I love it. I'm really excited that we have all these different boutique builders and those things that are going on. So uh, that's kind of my rant, really, for uh, Nashville. So I'm going to keep this uh, show short. I'm just going to cut it here. Um, just kind of wanted to check in, talk about the Nashville shows, and see if really I could do this as mobily as I think I can. So guys, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. And until next time, make some noise. Thank you.